0: Listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time. I hope you've digested all of that turkey. I hope that the pants are not too snug today as you get going on your week. Just coming into the news right now, OSSTF, the union that represents high school teachers in this province, saying that talks are going nowhere with the province and therefore it will begin to take strike action or strike votes, pardon me, from members over the next couple of weeks. That's Sort of a developing situation. You really expect that to happen because what uh, unions need when they go to the table is that strike vote behind them. Then they'll go go in there and they'll say, we've got a 99% uh, mandate to go on strike, and that helps with negotiations. Just an update there, but it looks like we still have trouble in the labor department for the education system in this province. Polling. The latest Ipsos poll. You heard about this in the news. It's conducted exclusively for Global News. It is found. That the Conservatives are down. The Liberals are down. Who's up? The Dippers. NDP up 5 percentage points this week. And if the election were held tomorrow, the party would receive 20% of the popular vote. Now, the number of Canadians who say they will vote on October 21st is also up this week. Hitting 70% now, according to poll results. And we saw a big jump in advance voting over the weekend, over the Thanksgiving weekend. But if you look at party support, block voters and conservative voters are most inclined to say they are absolutely 100% guaranteed going to vote. That motivation is less so for liberals at 75%, NDP at 71%, and then it drops to Greens and PPC. So as you can see, As the numbers go up or down for parties, you also have to keep in mind who is most likely to come out and actually tick a box for that party. Sean Simpson is with Ipsos and joins us on the line. Hi, Sean. Hi. We talked about this potential bump for the NDP, Mm. and here it is.
2: Here it is in spades, up five points, uh, taking primarily from the Liberals who are down five points. I mean, this 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 campaign is a nightmare for pollsters. I tell you, they've got two front runners who are neck and neck the entire time. We've got weird dynamics in Quebec, which are showing a resurgent block, and now, of course, just to add to the mix, uh, a, a surging NDP in the final week or two of, of the campaign. I mean, there's a lot to keep track
1: of. Yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces, and when we we talked about this last week. We had a big uh, shindig there at the Ipsos offices, and we sort of pored over the numbers. And the consensus was that there really did not seem to be a path to majority for anybody. Does a rising NDP change that for the Conservatives?
2: Well, it, it certainly makes it more likely for the Conservatives to uh, to form a, a majority government. But with 32% of the popular vote, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think they've still got a, a ways to go. Uh, had they not declined this last week and just witnessed uh, the Liberal decline and the NDP rise, uh, they would probably be a little bit happier than they are right now. But uh, it's really difficult to see a path to majority for anybody with these numbers.
1: And in terms of the NDP, are we too far out here? Because we still have a week to go, or is this a rolling momentum? Or is this going to be one of those things where, you know, like in the Ontario election where the NDP started the surge and then everybody looked at that party's platform and went, "Uh uh-uh.
2: Yeah. I, uh, if I'm a betting man, I have my money on a temporary blip. And the reason is because when I look at that NDP support, as you mentioned in your preamble, um, they are less likely to say that they're going to show up and vote. And they're also less committed to the NDP. So I, I think as we get a little bit closer to E-Day and people say, geez, you know, if my primary goal is to stop the Conservatives, I'm probably best positioned to do that with the Liberal Party.
1: John Simpson is with Ipsos, and little-known fact, he is also a church organist. <laughs> near you like, near my like guys that of little me. fact. I now. love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, thank you. Appreciate being on the program. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of hymn that we can sing around this time. Onward, Voting Soldiers. Well, let's turn our attention to the campaign trail today where Jagmeet Singh is in Toronto today targeting two ridings that the NDP lost in 2015 to the Liberals, including former leader Jack Layton's old riding. The uh, NDP hoping to take those back. Now, coalition talk is at the forefront because over the weekend, Singh said that he, quote unquote, absolutely would form a coalition with other parties, including Justin Trudeau's Liberals, just to stop a conservative government. Then... He tried to walk it back on Monday. I want to play the two clips from you for you here. Here he is on Sunday with the absolutely for a coalition.
2: If the conservatives win more seats, will you still try to form a coalition government with the liberals?
1: Oh, absolutely, because we're, we're not going to support a conservative government. OK, when I heard that, I thought, all right, I, I like that play. That's a play that says, you know what, you, you don't vote strategically. I mean, I'm just going to do everything I can to f- stop the conservatives. And maybe that might play through. But then, yesterday, he decided, "Mm, nope. That was not my position. My
3: position is this. We uh, have a number of priorities. And uh, I want Canadians to know that they could vote New Democrat.
1: And perhaps that is what is behind, as you heard Sean Simpson saying, a blip, a temporary rise for the NDP. I wonder if people will look at that. That is, I think, the first misstep by Singh, significant misstep by Singh, on the campaign trail to sort of say the one thing and then try and take it back. And all of it has made that coalition now is going to be the major talk throughout the rest of the week. And the coalition, that word, has a sort of a dirty tinge to it in Canada, which is strange because there is a long history of coalition governments, of minority governments, and today, here is Singh trying to, you know, wrap himself in the flag of Tommy Douglas. In Canada... Our history is one where so many of the things that
3: we're proud of happened when you you voted, when people voted for more New Democrats. Our healthcare system was only possible because Tommy Douglas fought for it. The New Democrats
1: and progressives fought for it. So that is Singh still walking back from coalition, but then still sort of suggesting, well, remember back in the past when we got all these great things, all all of this social security and social safety net was because of minority governments where the NDP held the balance of power in a coalition. Meanwhile, Andy, Mr. Shearer, now every time he says coalition, he kind of spits it like it's got a bad taste. There is now a clear choice between our party and an NDP-liberal coalition, which will raise taxes, uh, kill jobs, drive out investment, cancel big projects. Uh, I know Canadians won't want that to happen, and that's why I'm very optimistic for October 21st. And what's strange today is Mike LeCouture from Global National asked him a number of times about how that would work, what support would he, you know, how would he govern in a minority situation, and all he would say is, we're going to win a majority. That's it. We're winning a the majority. And I'm not certain how, how smart that is. Because you may remember, back in the day, remember when uh, Stephen Harper won his first minority? He was cruising towards a potential majority a- against Paul Martin. No, pardon me, it wasn't against Paul Martin. Uh, it was the second time around. And he said, well, majority. And the country got spooked. And I think there's a potential here for that. You know, Mr. Shear saying majority to spook a big portion of the country. Let's turn to the liberals. Justin Trudeau says a reelected liberal government will improve access to mental health services and home care for the elderly. He'll establish a pharmacare care program. Uh, Trudeau making those promises in Fredericton this morning. Now, the liberals swept that area in 2015, but are widely expected to lose seats this time around in the Maritimes. Now, we enter the finer sta- final stages of the campaign, and here is the Liberal play. This is old as time itself. Telling voters that marking a ballot for anyone but him will simply elect a Conservative.
4: You're saying that uh, voting Liberal is the only way to stop Conservative cuts. Are you trying to scare people, Green voters, NDP voters, into voting for your party?
1: I think people remember well oh, the cuts uh, and the choices that Stephen Harper had made for 10 years uh, that hurt Canadians that hurt our veterans, that stopped investing in communities through infrastructure. The
4: choice that Canadians made in 2015 to turn their back on the Harper years was the
1: right one. So, with six days to go, I'm wondering how you're feeling. After a weekend of pouring gravy over mashed potatoes... Did you talk a little turkey? Did you talk a little politics over the Thanksgiving weekend? I know it came up in my house a couple of times. People turned to me and said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And I said, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to carve this bird. That's what I'm going to do. No politics at the table. We tried tried to tamp it down a little, you know, because things get heated, especially with my sister was there and she's a teacher, and she has a and my my brother-in-law is a firefighter." And uh, I won't tip my hat as or my hand as to which way they're thinking. I, they didn't tell me. But let's just say things can get heated around the table. And over this next week, there's going to be a lot of Canadians really wondering about this whole coalition business. And so many people thinking, well, do you listen to that carrying call from the liberals that says a vote for the NDP is a vote for the conservatives? You hear Sean Simpson talking about a rise for the NDP could put the conservatives in a majority position. That's what happened with Jack Layton, folks. Orange Wave made a blue majority. Someday, this election's going to end. I just want to update you on OSSTF. We talked about this at the beginning of the program. Here is the official release from OSSTF, that is the union representing secondary school teachers. Quote, after months of delays in action by the Ontario government and no indication that meaningful discussion will take place, OSSTF feels it now has no choice but to begin the process of conducting strike votes among its members across the province in the coming weeks. So that is an indication that we have more trouble coming on the labor front in Ontario. We're going to keep our eye on that. Advocates in families affected by autism spectrum disorder are pleading with Liberal leader Justin Trudeau to commit to a national autism strategy. The NDP, the Conservatives, the Greens have all pledged to develop a federal strategy if elected. Trudeau, however, has not. In Ontario, a bitter battle has been fought over provincial support for autism services. After former Ontario Social Services Minister Lisa MacLeod announced changes to the funding framework in 2018, thousands rallied on the front lawn of the provincial legislature in protest. Parents also protested inside Queen's Park during question period. Tearful mothers pleading with MacLeod one-on-one. Now MacLeod was eventually shuffled out of that ministry and the government largely has backed away from those changes gives you a sense of the power of that lobby. And what does that mean for the federal liberals? Joining me is Travis Danrage, our Queens Park Bureau Chief. Travis Danrage joins me on the line. And Travis, what do the federal liberals say when it comes to a national autism strategy?
5: The Liberals basically won't commit to enacting a national autism strategy, however they say that they are doing enough to support families across the country that are dealing with autism spectrum disorder, and they point to other initiatives. Uh, like the t- Child Disability Benefit, they say that they're going to be doubling funding to that, and that's going to give parents about $5,600 a year tax-free uh, that can help a range of families dealing with severe disorders, including autism spectrum disorder. But what the autism community is saying, Alan, is that that is not enough, that you, you have to have a national strategy uh, when it comes to this, and they point to what happened in Ontario, and they say the federal government needs to step in here.
1: And being this being politics and an election, just because you don't have a strategy of your own doesn't mean you're not going critica- to criticize the other guy.
5: Yeah, exactly. Right, and 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 so it's interesting because the conservatives say that they will have some sort of national strategy, uh, but they want to consult first. And so the, the autism advocates that I'm talking to, I was talking to Laura Kirby McIntosh, who's the president of the Ontario Autism Coalition. Um, and, uh, you know, some of her quotes are in my story if you go on globalnews.ca. But essentially, what she says uh, is that that's not sufficient either because there have been consultations. There, you know, is a plan in place uh, right now, or a blueprint for a plan, and that, you know, we need to get on with the action of putting this national strategy into place. We don't need to consult more.
1: And interesting to see the number of, you know, high-profile people coming out saying that there needs to be some sort of help. We have Eugene Levy out there doing press today saying that, you know, Premier Ford, you've got to reverse these cuts. And all of this push, and you wonder what this will do at the ballot box, if anything at all.
5: Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, we we, we saw in Ontario how determined uh, parents of children with autism can be when it comes to their kids. You know, we saw thousands of people on the front lawn of Queen's Park. We saw parents in the the gallery, um, you know, screaming at the the then minister, Lisa McLeod. Parents, you know, going one-on-one with her, essentially demanding that they change uh, their policy. And, I mean, to a degree that, that that has worked so far. So we'll see if that happens on a national level as well. But you're you're absolutely right, and this will be a determining factor, at least for these parents, when it comes to who they vote for.
1: Travis Damrage is Global's Queen's Park Bureau Chief, and you can read his story about the push for a national autism strategy online, globalnews.ca. Travis, great to have you on the program. No problem, Alan. And we mentioned Canadian comedy legend Eugene Levy doing a series of interviews today urging the Ford government to change its funding formula. You can see that on Global News at 5.30 and 6 tonight. John Tory is at Sufi's restaurant right now. I can see him right there. We're going to check in with him. I wonder if we can just dip into what he's having to say right now. John Tory, uh, the mayor, talking at Sufi's, which reopened last week, as you know, after threats to shut it down. And the family that runs it saying that there was just too much of a risk, so they had to close down the Syrian family. And then another organization, Paramount Fine Foods, came in and said, we will operate that restaurant for you uh, just to make sure that it is open as a symbol that we will not be cowed by hate. And the mayor speaking now. I just see if we that can get it up when here. It
3: the fire service has to be called to go and rescue someone who has clearly violated very well marked areas that He's they're not supposed to. are talking about the
1: Scarborough in. Bluffs they're here. They're
3: also putting other people in the city at risk because the fire department then, with the trucks tied up, rescuing them, is not able to go somewhere else.
1: And should people and be charged? I just
3: hope people could come to their senses and stop this foolish behavior that has gone on for many years. But I'm just not sure the right solution is to send them a huge bill for thousands of dollars, in which case people may not dis- may decide not to call the emergency responders and uh, that would be potentially even more tragic. How much do those rescues cost the city? Well, they cost thousands of dollars. I mean, it's amazing that when you deploy an ambulance, when you deploy a police officer with two, a police car with two police officers, when you deploy fire trucks, um, you know, it costs, in the end, thousands of dollars because they are expensive pieces of equipment. They're well trained, expensive people that are professionals that are on those vehicles. And so it costs thousands of dollars, or hundreds at least. And of course, it happens multiple times. And so I'm not excusing the behavior. The behavior is inexcusable. It's dumb. It's stupid. It's inconsiderate. um, It's, Uh, I I love getting
1: castigated by John Tory
3: And so in that sense people should smarten up But um, I'm told By the professionals that if you said to people One of the consequences when you get in trouble On the Scarborough Bluffs will be to get a huge bill uh, That may cause people not to call And at least when they get in trouble If they're that dumb they should call and get help Uh, And and,
1: uh, you know We just hope people stop doing it
6: Mayor, there's to been this. some criticism of you and of council after we saw a baby hit on the weekend.
1: And all right, we'll go away site. from that. That is John Tory speaking live outside of Sufi's restaurant, taking all manner of questions, just taking some questions there about whether or not people dumb enough to climb around on the Scarborough Bluffs and need to be rescued should actually foot the bill for it. Some harsh words from the mayor there. Dumb. I want to talk about Syria get you updated on what's going on in Syria the turkish president has now said that his troops and allied syrian opposition forces now hold substantial ter- territory within northeast syria Erdogan says the offensive has so far liberated approximately a 386 square mile area from Kurdish groups who he considers terrorists for links to an insurgency. Erdogan has defended Turkey's offensive in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal calling on the international community to support the initiative or begin admitting refugees from Syria. However, the Turkish push has triggered widespread condemnation with Washington wanting the offensive stopped and a far declared, I'm Charles Deletezma. Meanwhile, the US president says that he's fully prepared to destroy Turkey's economy if its leaders continue what he calls quote this dangerous and destructive path in Syria. Here's a report about Trump yesterday announcing a halt to negotiations for a one hundred billion dollar trade deal with Turkey. A
3: new round of sanctions against Turkey with a warning that tougher ones will follow if the Turkish government does not halt the violence in Syria and agree to a long-term settlement on the border. But that threat follows the president's conversation just over a week ago that essentially opened the door for Turkey to invade. And there is no indication that Turkey will halt its bloody assault.
1: Now, here is where things are going to get very difficult and very frightening for the world, I believe, because this is not just a local, uh, regional conflict. It has the potential to draw more forces into it in a kind of a Balkan quagmire that is reminiscent, we hope not, of the summer of 1914. Kurdish fighters now have really been driven into the arms of Assad and Putin. So the Kurdish fighters that previously were fighting against ISIS now have to join forces with the other side. And why is that? Well, the Kurdish commander-in-chief explains why his forces are finally ready to partner with Assad and Putin. Maslum Abdi is the commander-in-chief of the Syrian Democratic Forces. And I found this so interesting. I read this in foreignpolicy.com. It was issued yesterday, again, by the commander-in-chief of the Syrian Democratic Forces, essentially the Kurdish commander-in-chief, who writes, We believe in democracy as a core concept, but in light of the invasion by Turkey and the existential threat its attack poses for our people, we have to reconsider our alliances. The Russians and the Syrian regime have made proposals that could save the lives of millions of people who live under our protection. We do not trust their promises. To be honest, it is hard to know whom to trust. We know that we would have to make painful compromises with Moscow and Bashar al-Assad if we go down the road of working with him. But if we have to choose between compromise and the genocide of our people, we will surely choose life for our people. That is the Kurdish commander-in-chief writing in foreignpolicy.com about why the Kurds are now looking at an alliance with the Syrian regime and with the Russians. And now we have Turkey facing off against Syria backed by Russia with Americans now pulling out and saying, well, stop, but don't stop. All of it destabilizing a region already incredibly unstable. It bears watching. It is a frightening development in that part of the world. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wait a minute. I can't say that anymore, can I? Air Canada now has made some changes in an attempt to be increasingly inclusive to all gender identities. The airline traditionally greets passengers like I just did. Ladies and gentlemen, now they're going to use the more inclusive term like everybody. They probably won't pronounce it that way. Yo, everybody, everything is okay. Okay. Uh, We will be amending our onboard announcements to modernize them and remove specific references to gender, a media spokesperson has said. We work hard to make sure all employees feel like valued members of the Air Canada family while ensuring our customers are comfortable and respected when they choose to travel with us. No more, ladies and gentlemen, on Air Canada. To the NBA and LeBron James. Man, can the NBA not can they get any of this right? They just can't seem to do anything without then having to come back out and say, "Well, let me clarify that." Including LeBron James who characterized this international incident caused by a tweet as a cautionary tale about the power of social media. LeBron James did not speak to reporters during the Los Angeles Lakers tour of China after Chinese officials canceled all press conferences in the wake of Houston Rockets General Manager Daryl Morey's tweet in support of Hong Kong's anti-Beijing protesters. Speaking Monday for the first time about the Lakers tour of China, James said of Morey's tweet...
0: Yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications. For the negative, that can happen um, when you're not thinking about others and you only think about
1: yourself. James then tweeted he was referring to the timing of the tweet, not its substance. Brian Clark, ABC News. Okay, so, no, no, I'm just talking about the tweet itself. So when he said that uh, Daryl Morey was misinformed about his tweet and what the reaction would happen when he said, you know, I support, or he tweeted an image that indicated support for Hong Kong protesters... Now, tweet is you know, James is saying, well, I'm just a tweet. I'm not saying he was misinformed. I'm just saying he was misinformed about the reaction. And around and around we go, the NBA just tying itself in knots, trying to placate China while at the same time saying, well, no, we, we support free speech just as long as it doesn't hurt our bottom line is essentially what it means. And speaking of bottom, bottom lines, how about this? Can Trust Holdings, this is one of the major marijuana grow operations in Canada, major marijuana companies, it's going to destroy $77 million worth of pot plants as part of efforts to comply with regulations as authorized by Health Canada. Now, the Vaughan, Ontario-based company received a notice of license suspension in September. This is after a whistleblower said they were growing weed in secret rooms that was not approved by Health Canada. And as a result, the authority to produce cannabis was suspended. So the board of directors of the company now has determined it's necessary to destroy $12 million worth of biological assets and $65 million worth of inventory that was not authorized. The weed is perfectly fine, folks. You know it's perfectly fine. But it's going to go all up in smoke because it didn't have the proper Health Canada sticker approval on it. Do you trust GPS? Do you put stuff into Google Maps and then decide where to go? Or do you think to yourself, I don't trust this thing. I don't know where it's sending me. Well, if you're an Italian town, man, are you ever fed up with Google Maps?
2: A town on the Italian island of Sardinia has unofficially banned Google Maps after too many people got lost in the area using the app. The mayor of Baunei has set up road signs everywhere saying, "Do not follow the directions of Google Maps." Last year alone, some 140 people had to be rescued after getting stuck with their cars in rocky terrain. The mayor of Baunei says rescuing tourists in remote areas is very costly. The town council has officially complained to Google about its directions. Megan Williams AB news Rome
1: There's a fascinating case in the courts today Canada's top court is set to hear an appeal of class action lawsuit by Mr. Sub franchisee seeking compensation from Maple Leaf Foods because of the 2008 Lister- Listeriosis crisis In 2008 that outbreak caused the deaths of more than 20 people The company issued a national recall of many of its ready-to-eat products which included items like deli meats Within months, may Leaf agreed to settle a series of proposed class action lawsuits. But 424 Mr. Sub-Franchisees, that has remained unsolved. And it's before the courts today. Andrew Bernstein, his litigation partner with Tories LLP, joins me on the line. Hi, Andrew. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm great. What is the impact of this court, Supreme Court case today?
4: So what the Supreme Court is going to be asked to decide is exactly how much liability a company like Maple Leaf incurs when it has a problem like the tainted meat
5: problem.
1: But this is particular to the franchisees, and they say, well, listen, we, we suffered all kind of reputational damage because of this.
4: That's right. So just to set the stage a little bit, the franchisees were repaid for their tainted meat. The franchisees were e- even received some cleanup costs to make sure that their uh, stores were not actually still tainted with any of the tainted meat. And so what the franchisees are saying is, you know what? People associated this meat with with us, with Mr. Sub franchises, and as a result, we should be paid for the loss of business that we incurred. So that's that's really what's going on before the Supreme Court. There's I don't want to get into the, you know, nitty-gritty legal details here, but there's uh, always been a huge question when you talk about negligence cases about how much so called economic loss. So there's no person that's been hurt, there's no property damage, you just lost some profit. And the question is will the other person who is negligent be responsible for repaying you for the profit that you lost?
1: Interesting. And that obviously will set a precedent going forward.
4: Yeah, very much. Uh, those of us who watch cases like this closely, I uh, watched the hearing this morning, very interested in what precedent the Supreme Court sets on cases like this, because, of course, there's lots of businesses that make products for other businesses. And so that's going to be the big question.
1: Fascinating stuff. Andrew Bernstein is a litigation partner at Tories LLP. Appreciate you being on the, sh- on the program. My
4: pleasure. Take care.
1: Welcome back to the program and rock and roll news to talk about the nominees for the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are out. I don't know if you put a whole lot of stock into this kind of thing, but if you do, here are the nominees. Notorious B.I.G., Whitney Houston, Dave Matthews Band, and Motorhead are among the first-timers on the ballot, while returning acts getting another chance include Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, Judas Priest, and Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. The 16 nominees up for inclusion, scheduled to take place on May 2nd in Cleveland, are rounded up by Kraftwerk, which has been nominated five times previously, MC5, Todd Rundgren, and newcomers to the shortlist, Pat Benatar, Soundgarden, T-Rex, Thin Rizzy, and the Doobie Brothers. Alan Cross. Knows more about music than most people alive, and joins me on the line. Hey, Alan. We do this every year, don't we? <laughs> and how do you feel about
0: this? I you know, I I used to think that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was a big, big deal. Uh now um not not so much. I, I understand that what it is is a tourist attraction. It's an opportunity for people to have their back catalogs streamed or purchased more. And it is uh, very much an old boys club where you try to get your favorites, for whatever reason, uh, uh, in, into the hall. And I'm, I'm looking at this year's list, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a pretty populist list. In the sense that no one has gone really, really deep to find some you know obscure blues or, or uh, R&B or rock and roll pioneer to put on the ballot i you know there's there's very there are very few people who will look at this list and go i don't know who that is i don't know who that is i don't know who that is everybody knows everybody on this list
1: always though we look at who's been overlooked and here are the list of eligible acts overlooked this year some who have been previously nominated but have not been inducted and these are head scratchers for me alan willie nelson
0: That is a very strange one considering not only was he or is he a very, very famous performer today, but he was a songwriter for so many other country acts. Back before we knew who Willie Nelson was, he I think he deserves to be here. I think he I think,
1: has to be in there. Joy Division's not in
0: there. I i know. That's that's sad, and that's because this is an American institution, and they don't really understand what happened to Britain in 1979.
1: But uh, you, you Joy Division, I mean, you, so many bands, so many American bands, you don't even have them without Joy Division.
0: Well, you look at the list here, and we have Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails wouldn't exist
1: without Joy exactly. Division.
0: Exactly. Not a chance.
1: And what, Rage Against the Machine's not in there.
0: Uh I have a feeling that even if they were in there they would say thanks but no
1: thanks. That would be great. I'd be great if they just showed up and just trashed the place.
0: <laughs> it would be it would be
1: pretty cool. Motley Crue. How is Motley Crue not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Ooh,
0: that I'm That's a very good question. So here's where we get into the discussion of what is criteria for Hall of Fame material? What did you have to do in your career to make you so extraordinary that you deserve to be placed in this rock and roll mausoleum for all time, a long time, alongside greats like Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry and the Beatles and so on? So what? why make the argument? See, here's what what happens in these things. There's about a thousand people who vote on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. And everybody has to make their case whenever an artist is brought forward. I would love to know who would champion Motley Crue for inclusion. Here's why. Well, they they had a drummer who drummed upside down. Uh, They had a bass player who could not move because his hips were frozen. Uh, They had a singer who uh, got into a car accident and killed the drummer of another band. You know... I don't know. I mean, good records. They sold a lot of concert tickets. Are they Hall of Fame material? I don't know. This is where we get to argue.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to argue in favor of Motley Crue. No, no. I, <laughs> this, I mean, I'm not. But I, I can see that. You know, if you if you say that they are representative of you know that kind of L.A. You know, not I'm not grunge. What's the, the you know the L.A. Metal. Strip? That hair metal. I mean, they're representative. They're probably the the cream of the bad crop there.
0: Yeah. Let's just go down the list. You know, Pat Benatar, does she deserve to be on here? Well, there is, has been and continues to be a dearth of women in the hall. Yeah. Uh, she was a hard-rockin' woman in the early part of the 90s, or early part of the 80s. She was an MTV staple back then. Okay, she she did break a lot of ground for a lot of people. Dave Matthews' band, uh, been around for quite some time. They, uh, they're you know, one of the premier jam bands. Uh, yeah, yeah, i, I just lost enthusiasm for that.
1: Jam band. Uh, Alan, you've said jam band, so I'm going to have to let you go. Oh, thats sorry. I'm that was sorry. the bad that's, word? Yeah. As soon as we go into like a 14-minute violin solo in a rock show, we're done. Yeah, okay. Alan Cross is a 640 Toronto music industry expert and, of course, host on 102.1 The Edge. Alan, always great to have you on the program. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Google has unveiled a new Pixel smartphone and other hardware devices today, all aimed at getting people more dependent on its AI. Pixel 4 phone promises to respond to AI queries faster. There's a Wi-Fi system for home getting the AI features for the first time and a new speaker and wireless earbuds as well. Let's talk gear, shall we? Mark Saltzman is our tech expert and is on the line. Hi, Mark.
6: Hi, forgive the noise. I'm still here at the Google Press event in New York, but good to chat with you.
1: So what did you see, and what did you think?
6: Yeah, well, probably the start of the show was the new Pixel 4 smartphone. I mean, Google has done quite a, quite a good job, especially in the photography department, with this series. And, and this new phone uh, looks to be no different. In fact, they brought on none other than Annie Leibovitz on stage to talk about using this phone for the last year. So, I mean, it, it excels in a lot of areas that other smartphones uh, don't. And that's primarily in the night mode they call it, night sight, where they can you can really take some beautiful photos in dim environments, which is where most other phones fail at. And, and they showed some remarkable uh, images on there. The AI was really interesting, uh, as you as you touched on. Um, it's got uh, on chip AI, so it's not just reliant on Google's home servers separately. Uh, you know where it has to connect over the internet. Um, and um, they I love this. Oh my God, this this voice recording feature now. You would appreciate this uh, as, a, as a journalist, as a reporter. Like, get this. You can talk into the phone uh, or have a, a teacher or a professor talk into the phone or uh, in a business meeting. And it, it transcribes your voice into text for you very accurately using AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, it, it was a pretty impressive phone. So that was one of the biggest uh, products today. So definitely that's what I think You know, a lot of Canadians are looking to upgrade their device, and that should be available soon. So pretty cool stuff there.
1: It, it seems like AirPods have sort of taken the market in terms of the wireless earbuds. I, I have them. I love them. I, I, I mean, I spend more time thinking about where they are than anything else. Uh, do you think Google can make a dent in that market with these new earbuds?
5: Yeah, so they're, they're, they've got these Pixel Buds.
6: It's their second-generation uh, products that are a lot smaller. Like, a lot of people like AirPod quality, but they don't like the look of the AirPods. Um, so, I think that Google is, is leveraging the design where they're almost not even there. Like, they're just, they really go inside of your ear. And they're also leveraging their, their, um, their artificial intelligence. So, of course, it's got built-in Google Assistant. You may have seen that demo of the language translation in real time where somebody speaks, uh, you know, uh, something in, in their mother tongue and, and you hear it in English in, in your ears, in near real, in real time. So they, they, they didn't demo that one today, but they did talk about it. And another, of course, having your personal assistant in your ear, five hours of battery life or 24 hours with the case. So comparable to AirPods, but uh, it, you don't need an iPhone, of course. It'll work with any device. And that doesn't have to be a Pixel smartphone either. So yeah, they were, they were pretty impressive, new colors as well. I, I, I'm personally not a fan of the way the AirPods look. You know, that's just me. Um, my three kids love it. But uh, I, I didn't try them out yet. I'm, I'm in the area now where you get to actually get your hands on, so I can't talk to the quality. But uh, but um, definitely cool. And then they also have new Nest speakers. So smart speakers, of course, very popular in Canada, as you know. And the new Nest Mini, so it used to be called Google Home Mini, now they're putting it all under the Nest brand. It's got uh, some new artificial intelligence. And one really cool feature, get this, if you are uh, somewhere else in the world and you've got your smart speaker at home and it hears your smoke detector go off or your carbon monoxide detector going off, it will actually notify you on your device that there is an alarm going off in your home. And uh, do you want to call the local authorities back in the GTA, for example, near your home? That's, pretty cool because it's not tied to your alarm system it just uses sound the microphones to hear an alarm going off i don't know if you heard about that that was pretty cool i got a round of applause today
1: mark saltzman is our tech expert who is covering the new google unveiling of all the new gadgets for us thanks mark appreciate appreciate you being on the program my pleasure thank you